Hello again, this is Pastor Ed Collins of North Christian Church. This is part 77 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Before we begin, let's open up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of gathering together this way, Father, this unique way during this unique time in history. Father, we're so grateful for the provisions that you've given to us to be able to meet this way, meet at the very word of Christ, Father, the bread of life. What a privilege this is. May we never become familiar with it, Father, but embrace it for what it is. It's a grace gift from you, motivated by your unerring love towards your own children, Father. What a wonderful time this is to live. What a time to be pressed down, Father, and understand your faithfulness. Understand our own faith in the process, Father. These are all grace gifts to us. Uh, they come in the form of perspective, Father, and ultimately we pray for the wisdom that follows. We do pray for those in the congregation, Father, that are not well, that are ill, Father, that need a uh, special encouragement this day, Father, from you. Uh, and we pray that they know that we're with them in spirit, even though we can't meet face to face at this point, Father. We just ask that you heal them in whatever way is appropriate to sanctify them. Father, we pray also for those still lost in this world, that they be granted that time by means of your patience, Father, to be humbled and to receive saving faith. Father, we are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross to cancel out that debt against us and to make an evening like this a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this message. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, this is part 77 of The Lord is Our Confidence. Folks, we're getting close. <laughs> I know I've said this probably 20 parts ago. We started as I like to say, out of the mine shaft and just looking at artifacts on the wall and where we've been over uh, the course of 76 parts so far. Uh, just a wonderful time to um, reflect on all that the Spirit's been doing in us and for us uh, in terms of our confidence in the Lord. On Sunday, we began with a poignant question up here on the board. Should we need a holiday to celebrate the Lord? Fair question, right? For example, do we need a holiday? Do we need Christmas to celebrate his birth? Or do we need Resurrection Sunday, or as some would call it Easter Sunday? Do we need those things to celebrate him? That's a fair question. Go to 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. This spawned a whole host of thoughts in my soul as I was preparing this message for you all. And I ended up at 2 Timothy 4 too, a, a, a passage that is very familiar to most of you. But as is often the case, the Spirit's coming in from a different angle into the same rose bush, as I'd like to say it. Uh, should we need, the question on the board, should we need a holiday to celebrate the Lord? 2 Timothy 4 two, Preach the word. You ready? Be ready in season and out of season. 
be ready in season and out of season. Well, what's part of the word? The word proper really begins with the gospel for we believers. That's the linchpin of the entire word of God. That's the central theme, the central piece of it. So when Timothy is taught this by Paul, from Paul, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Not necessarily just in holiday season. You get the point? Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. I'll give you the Greek up here in the board, epistemi, for be ready. It means to set upon, to set up, to stand upon, be present. In context, it's the active voice, imperative mood. And it means that it is a command to be personally obeyed. That's what Paul wrote. Be ready. Active voice, imperative mood. It's a command to be personally obeyed. Hmm. This is the value, my friends, of looking at the original Greek from time to time. Especially when there's, you know, a nuance that people can use as a loophole to, quote, slip out of a certain responsibility to the Lord even. Remember why he leaves us here after salvation. It's to bring glory to him. It's to be true Christians, believers, children, sheep of the great shepherd. We are to represent him well here on earth. That's why we're here. So again, this val the value of looking at a Greek word like epistemi that means to be ready, and then also looking at the voice and the mood and figuring out and realizing that it's a command that has to be personally obeyed. That's the value of looking at the original Greek, especially when there's a nuance. It sort of takes all the loopholes out. Uh, it, it precludes us from slighting our responsibilities to the Lord. In other words, what the Spirit of Christ is saying here is that he doesn't want any of us just celebrating the Lord's birth and or his resurrection during Christmas or Easter season. If we, quote, hear what the Spirit's saying to us here, the command, we just noted it's a command, the command is to celebrate him every day, in season and out. Celebrate him in season and out. Be ready in season and out. That's a command. So being ready means just that. It means being ready for each and every day's worth of trials and tribulations. If you're one of those people who say only celebrate others on their birthday, then listen up. You know, there's so much to celebrate in this world, not of the world, but what we, the way we see things even, there's a lot to celebrate. For starters, how about Jesus Christ being in your life? How about the fact that he's literally in you? Isn't that a cause for celebration? How about the fact that we have the very Spirit of God abiding in us, teaching us messages like this one, and then empowering us by grace through faith to walk the walk. Is that enough to get you out of bed in the morning? Or how about the fact that when Jesus said, 
follow me. It was implied that his sheep, every last one of us, would follow him all the way to the grave, only to be lifted out by the power of God through resurrection to eternal life. Is that enough to get you jazzed up for the day? I mean, I think these are rhetorical questions, of course, all demanding yes for answers. The point is, you see, like every other time the Spirit's given us a command to dwell upon, this one's no different. Again, look at the verse. Preach the word, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready. That's the command. Be ready. When? In season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Again, on the board, be ready, epistemi, to set upon, to set up, to stand upon, to present, or be present, excuse me. In context, the active voice imperative mood means that it is a command to be personally obeyed. Like every command we're ever given in the Bible, with the right perspective, we realize that not only does our obedience to it bring glory to God, but we are also very much blessed in our obedience. So when he says, be ready, when we obey, we're blessed. Case in point, consider the person who only celebrates Christ seasonally. And then consider the person who celebrates him daily. Who of the two are more blessed? So you see, this is the... This is the type of retooling that occurs with maturity in the faith. We learned, this, we, we learned this principle not that long ago, honestly, and I'll reiterate a few recurring principles verbatim from three past messages to, to drive this home. Again, this is the retooling that occurs with maturity in the faith, that when we obey, we are blessed. First, on this topic, the enabling piece. I'll call it the, quote, enabling piece of commands in the Bible. From January 2018, this is how long ago this was, we had this principle. The general truth about demands. The Bible is chock full of demands that are literally impossible for man to obey without the help of the one making them. This is the enabling principle, remember? While this seems paradoxical, it is nothing less than God's grace. God is merely looking for willingness and humility in a man. That's the general truth about his commands or his demands on we believers specifically. The Bible is chock full of demands that are literally impossible for man to obey without the help of the one making them. While this seems, you know, paradoxical, it is nothing less than God's grace. God is merely looking for willingness and humility in man. A more recent installment from the Spirit on this recurring topic was this up here on the board. Obedience is a grace gift. How about that? To add to the last principle, our ability to obey the commands in the Bible is given to us by the grace of God. For example, quote, we had the, a long dissertation on do not be anxious. Another command in the Bible, by the way. For example, do not be anxious is a command that we can obey by grace. We cannot defeat fear by force of will. 
We must depend wholly on the word in the spirit for deliverance. And then finally, from August of 2018, we had this principle. By grace, when, up here on the board, when God demands something of us, he does so in light of his ever-present grace. He knows, sometimes we forget, that it is impossible for mere, quote, vessels of mercy, to borrow from Paul in Romans 9.23, God knows that it is impossible for us to bear fruit worthy of his glory by ourselves, by themselves. So he enables us. Isn't that fantastic? That's magnificent. When God demands something of us, he does so in light of his ever-present grace. In other words, he would never ask something of us that his grace can't meet for us. He knows, sometimes we forget, that it is impossible for mere vessels of mercy to bear fruit worthy of his glory by themselves. So he enables us. The summary of these three previous principles is up here on the board. The blessing of obedience. And this is the summary. When we obey God, we are blessed. When we obey God, we are blessed. Not just because it is pleasing to him, although that's true, it is, but also that our lives are oriented to his perfect plan. Obedience has the effect of of reducing the friction between our conscience and our lifestyles. Again, the blessing of obedience. And this might take you a little thinking here. When we obey God, we are blessed. Not just because it is pleasing to him, it is, but also that our lives are oriented to his perfect plan. Obedience has the effect of reducing the friction between our conscience and our lifestyles. Think about that long and hard over this weekend, my friends. So, in the case of, quote, being ready in season and out, a la 2 Timothy 4.2, by obeying the command to be ready, we are blessed because every day we celebrate Jesus, not just on holidays. You see? Every day we celebrate, not just on holidays, not just on on special occasions. And furthermore, is this the only instance where we can be grateful for God's grace in our lives? I mean, are we just talking about holidays here? Is this the only instance where we can be grateful for God's grace in our lives? I mean, as stupendous as Jesus is to us, is he the only reason we ought to celebrate life itself? How about our brothers and sisters in Christ? Aren't their lives worth celebrating? I think so. How about our children or our parents, especially when they're saved? Or the fact that God has never once lied to us about never leaving or forsaking us. How about that? How about the fact that we have enough perspective to understand now that even our persecutions are ordained by the holy God of the universe in order to strengthen us. These are all incredible things that we ought to be invigorated by each and every day. But, as is often the case, if we're honest, we aren't invigorated, are we? No. Why? Human beings are implacable. Often plagued with the, you know, what have you done for me lately attitude. And you know, that's 
the exact opposite of the one the Spirit's been giving us as of late. Is it not? This is the one that he's been giving us up here on the board. The life is good attitude. It's transcendent. It's not transactional. We're not waiting around for life to happen so that we have something to celebrate. We have so much to celebrate right now. Transcendent things. We're living the resurrection life. We've been given life eternal in Christ Jesus. We're saved. We're co-victors uh, with him. That's a transcendent mindset. And that's what should get us out of bed in the, in the morning. And with that attitude, there's just so much to be grateful for. But sadly for some of us, we have a bad day and, you know, all of a sudden, Jesus' resurrection doesn't mean anything to us anymore. Someone, you know, talks to us sideways and all of a sudden, we act like Jesus was never born to die for us. We're just awful sometimes. I think you'll agree. But thanks be to God for his mercy and his patience. Amen? Amen. Let's read some encouragement now that we've had to face up to our own arrogance and realize that we are pretty awful in terms of being grateful daily. Go to Psalm 103. I'm going to grab a drink of water. Psalm 103, verse 1. This is David uh, writing. Or David's words. Psalm 103, verse 1. Again, the point on the board, life, the life is good attitude. It's transcendent, not transactional. Now that we've faced the reality about how ungrateful we can be, let's get some encouragement. Psalm 103, 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us, thank God, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. How's that for encouraging perspective, huh? Thanks be to God, again, for his mercy and patience. All right, let's, let's finish out this opening topic now of, quote, being ready in season and out of season. Let me give you the Amplified now of 2 Timothy 4.2 up here on the board. Amplified reads, 
preach the word as an official messenger. Be ready when the time is right and even when it is not. Keep your sense of urgency, whether the opportunity seems favorable or unfavorable, whether convenient or inconvenient, whether welcome or unwelcome. Correct those who err in doctrine or behavior. Warn those who sin. Exhort and encourage those who are growing towards spiritual maturity with inexhaustible patience and faithful teaching. Again, being ready is given in a command form. A command form. And to that point, here's been a recurring theme. Commands require humility so that we obey. Up here on the board. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the word of God. If you want deliverance from fear, then obey the word of God. I could truncate that. Let's truncate it here on the spot. If you want deliverance, period, not even just from fear, you you pick. If you want deliverance, period, then obey the word of God. The helper principle has been this up here on the board, that God is in control. And if he's in control, then his commands are perfect. So we have the privilege of obeying a perfect God, a perfect commander. Again, if he's in control, then his commands are perfect. This has been our connective tissue back to this anchor topic of our 77-part series. The Lord is our confidence. If he's in control and his commands are perfect, does that not imbue in us a sense of incredible confidence? Where fundamentally do we derive our confidence in our lives? Ask that question. Where fundamentally do we derive our confidence in our lives? Well, here's one way to look at it. We have two basic options that are each derived from areas of respect. And I mean respect in the sense of fear even. We have two basic options that are each derived from areas of respect. Again, the question on the table, where fundamentally do we derive our confidence in our lives? First, if we respect the world's economy and its currency, which is creature credit, then we lend ourselves to it, becoming slaves to it, willingly at that. The second option is that if we respect God's economy and its currency, grace, then we lend ourselves to it, becoming slaves to it, again, willingly. The point is that in both cases, we are willing participants. We either willingly participate in the world economy, Satan's economy, or we will because we respect him and his economy, or we respect God and his economy. One way or the other, we're willing participants. So this implies what we call free will in the Bible. And just reflect upon this for a moment. The reason any command exists for us in the Bible is because we have been given a free will to obey or disobey God. You see, it wouldn't be a command in other words. We would be robotic. So the reason any command exists for us in the Bible is because we have been given a free will to obey or disobey said command. 
what the Spirit's been teaching us in this series on confidence, and matter of fact, for years from this pulpit, is actually very simple. If we put our stock in the world's economy, we suffer self-inflicted wounds to the detriment of Christ's good name. That's what happens when we put our stock in the world's economy. We suffer self-inflicted wounds to the detriment of Christ's good name. If we put our stock in God's economy, though, we are blessed beyond our imaginations even and bring glory to Christ's good name. What's the choice, you might be asking? If we had to, you know, whittle it down to a free will decision? Well, I'd rather have the Spirit work that out in you through Holy Scripture, if you don't mind. Let me give you Proverbs 14, 26 to 27 in the Amplified. In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will always have a place of refuge. The reverent fear of the Lord that leads to obedience and worship is a fountain of life, so that one may avoid the snares of death. Whew! Did you get all that? I hope you did, because pretty much everything I've been teaching you in this series, 77 parts now, is somehow impregnated into this one passage. Let's read it again slowly. Proverbs 14, 26 to 27, the Amplified reads, In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I've taught you this over and over and over again. If you respect the world's economy, you lack confidence. You're anxious. You're worrisome. You lack confidence. In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. And his children will always have a place of refuge. Think about that. The Lord, I almost get a sense of the Lord wrapping his arms around me and protecting me. The reverent fear of the Lord that leads to obedience and worship is a fountain of life. In other words, your socks are blessed off so that one may avoid the snares of death. And that really describes sanctification experientially. In brief, we find our confidence in the Lord when we possess a reverent fear of him. Let me say it again. We find our confidence in the Lord when we possess a reverent fear of him. When we fear him this way, we abide in his protective refuge with a peace that garrisons our hearts, a la Philippians 4, verse 7. And it's from this posture in life that we respond to him with obedience. And as I've been teaching you in this series Obedience leads to blessings and away from the snares of death. God says, don't go over there, go this way. We obey, we leave the throes of death behind experientially, we move towards him and we're blessed. Again, obedience leads to blessings and away from the snares of death. Do you see how, this? even just this one passage on the board, do you see how perfectly synchronous, harmonious the Word of God is? It's incredible. It's the most beautiful thing in this world, my friends. Nothing even comes close to it. And that makes sense, too, given the fact that the Word and Jesus are basically one and the same, a la John 
114. And speaking of the Logos, the Word, we haven't read John 1 in a while. It's, you know, it's so magnificent that it simply must be read instead of just described here by a mere man like myself. So let's take a moment now to do just that. Go to John 1 verse 1. Never get tired of this passage. John 1 verse 1. John 1 verse 1. Series is titled, The Lord is Our Confidence. John 1, 1. I can't imagine going through life and never reading this passage. What a tragedy. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, that's Jesus, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. My friends, does that passage ever get old? Honestly, does that pa I could read that every single day for the rest of my life. It would never get old. It's also a really nice way to amplify our previous passage, again, on the board. Take what we just noted in John 1 and, and apply it uh, in full context to, to Proverbs 14, 26 to 27. In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence how do you not fear or respect the Lord after reading John 1? In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will always have a place of refuge. The reverent fear of the Lord that leads to obedience and worship is a fountain of life, so that one may avoid the snares of death. So, I mean, there we have it, my friends, in a nutshell. 77 parts, and we end up with a single passage in the wisdom book of Proverbs. Why didn't the Spirit just take us here in part one or two? Because as the Bible clearly states up here on the board, Luke 11, 9 to 10 in the Amplified, So I say to you, and this is Jesus, the same person who we just read about in John 1, same in Proverbs so I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. This, again, the question of the board. Why didn't he just give us this, you know, on part one or two of the Lord is our confidence? Well, this is why. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock and keep on knocking, 
and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who keeps on asking persistently receives, and he who keeps on seeking persistently finds, and to him who keeps on knocking persistently, the door will be opened. You know, God is more than willing to impart godly confidence into your souls, more than willing. But as the Bible also says in James 4, 6, he gives grace to the humble, but is opposed to the arrogant. Up here on the board, arrogance and fear of the Lord are antithetical. Let that sink in. Arrogance and fear of the Lord are antithetical. In other words, an arrogant person is disrespectful towards the Lord God. An arrogant person is disrespectful towards the Lord God. Go to James 1.22 with me. James 1 verse 22. Again, the point on the board, arrogance and fear of the Lord are antithetical. What do we notice? That a reverent fear of the Lord brings strong confidence. Hmm. So an arrogant person, I've taught you this in many different ways over the years, an arrogant person, you know, the, the, that, that chest beater type, the, you know, the, not even, just an, even a covertly arrogant one, they actually live in fear. They actually don't have confidence, you see, because they fear the wrong things. They fear themselves even, their own loss of self-righteousness, their own reputation in this world. They fear all the wrong things. They have a respect uh, of the world's economy, the one where creature credit is the currency. They don't have a, a respect for God's economy where grace abolishes and annihilates self-righteousness. They don't have a respect for that thing. And therefore, they do not have that strong confidence we just noted in Proverbs. Again, why, why all this? Because an arrogant person is disrespectful towards the Lord God. James 1.22, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, who deceiving themselves, who deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Be doers. Respect the Lord. A reverent fear of the Lord. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Again, the point on the board, arrogance and fear of the Lord are antithetical. Arrogance doesn't seek the things from above, like the Bible teaches. Go to Colossians 3 verse 1. This is another problem with arrogance. It doesn't seek the things from above, like the Bible teaches. The Bible says seek persistently. Arrogant person doesn't do that. And then they wonder why they're miserable. Again, arrogance and fear of the Lord are antithetical. Arrogance doesn't seek the things from above. Colossians 3.1 If then you have been raised with Christ, what does it say? Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. If you have been raised, this is for we believers, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. In other words, stop putting your faith, 
Stop respecting the world system, your own self-righteousness, the effectiveness of the world's economy in its creature credit currency. Stop lending or giving respect to those things because you're willingly submitting to unholy things that drag you away from confidence in the Lord, drag you back to fear and anxiety against the very commandments of God that say, do not be anxious. Again, seek the things that are above. Up here on the board, seek here from Zeteo in Colossians 3.1 means to seek by inquiring, to investigate, to reach a binding terminal resolution. Do you see what's going on? Get to that point where you're, you know, you're untouchable. To search, getting to the bottom of a matter. That's what zeteo means in the Greek. And guess what? Present active imperative means it is a daily command given to believers. Present active imperative means it's a daily command given to believers. Again, Colossians 3.1, if then you have been raised with Christ, in other words, if you're a believer, then commandment, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, again, present active imperative in the Greek, set your minds on, present active imperative. That means it's a daily command, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Now, to reiterate, commands are given to bless us out. Remember? These are two commands. Seek and set your minds on. Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on the things that are above. These are two commands given to bless us out. Do they bring glory to God? Of course they do. But they're there to bless us out. This one is obviously no different uh, here this command, maybe just a little uh, easier to see, I guess. Let's go back to our summary passage for this series again. Up here on the board, Proverbs 14, 26 to 27 in the Amplified. Such an incredible, incredible passage. In the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. I hope you see the connective tissue. We've been on the Lord is our confidence for 77 parts. How do we end up there? Well, the reverent, in the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence. In that, abiding in that fear, in other words, in the reverent fear of the Lord, there is strong confidence, and his children will always have a place of refuge. The reverent fear of the Lord that leads to obedience and worship is a fountain of life, so that one may avoid the snares of death. Now, before we close, let's just grab a few more artifacts from our previous messages in this series on confidence because that's what the Spirit's doing. He's sort of putting a wrapper on this thing, saying, look at that point on the board. Is it not magnificent? You want, you want confidence? You want strong confidence? Well, in the reverent fear of Him is where you're going to find it. That same reverent fear abiding in the sphere of God that leads us to obedience and worship, which is a fountain of life. With that said, let's grab a few more artifacts from our previous messages in this series on confidence. And we'll keep our thoughts at a very high level here. For starters, up here on the board, sanctification is a function of obedience. 
Sanctification is a function of obedience. This is an old, uh, I don't have a date on it, but this is, a, this is a principle that we were given previously in this series. Sanctification is a function of obedience. In other words, we're sanctified when we're obedient. When we're arrogant and we're disobedient, God is opposed to us, right? That's what James 4, 6 says. God gives grace to the humble, but is opposed to the arrogant, opposed to the proud. So if we want to be sanctified, it's a function of obedience. We have to obey. With that said, ask yourself an honest question. Now really be honest now. Do you count yourself among the arrogant or the humble? Do you? Stated differently, what is your app here on the board? What is your attitude towards obedience? What is your attitude towards, what's the biggest, what's the big, after the gospel, after obeying the gospel, the command to believe, what's, what's the next big preeminent command? We've, we've learned, the, the Spirit's been driving this home for weeks. Learn the word of God. Fear him and learn his word. Fear him and learn his word. Fear him and learn his word. That's obedience for us. That's like the primitive for we believers. Again, what is your attitude towards obedience? I don't know. How often do you read your Bible? Do you get all these messages? Do you read all the blogs? Do you take in the word when you're supposed to? Uh, when you're convicted by God, the Holy Spirit, do you pay attention? Or do you just moan and groan and, I don't know, turn on the TV? What is your attitude towards obedience? Is obedience your priority? Is obedience your priority? Let me dig a little bit deeper uh, into this with you. An obedient mindset. Our minds must be fixed on obedience. Again, this is another borrowed principle from the annals of this series. Our minds must be fixed on obedience as a way of life. Does that make sense? Remember this principle? Obedience isn't a transaction. It's transcendent. Just like life is good attitude. It's not transactional. It's transcendent. We abide in the sphere of God. Do you remember all that teaching? Don't lose it. Our minds must be fixed on obedience as a way of life. Not merely a laundry list of checkboxes. Yes, there's a difference. A big one. One is truth. One is religion. The prior is the sphere of sanctification, the latter, religion. Again, our minds must be fixed on it as a way of life. That's an obedient mindset. Remember, a good attitude about life is transcendent, not transactional. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1 now. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Again, a good attitude about life is transcendent, not transactional. We understand this when we live in obedience as a way of life. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 1. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. 
But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. You, For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on, there's that Greek word again, and duo, that we saw in Romans 13, 14, put on Christ, right? But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. I just want to give you some clarity and just a little more amplification on let us be sober up here on the board. In other words, let us not be intoxicated with the world and its trappings. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively of the ties that bind us to evil things. For example, people, habits, stuff, you choose. I don't know, whatever plagues your life. Let us be sober. Let us not be intoxicated with the world and its trappings. Let us give no respect to the world's economy or its currency, that is creature credit. Let us rid ourselves voluntarily and proactively of the ties that bind us to evil things, whether it's people, habits, stuff, or our own attitudes, frankly, right? So much of our sanctification, experientially speaking, is a function of how we live our lives. Again, sanctification is a function of obedience. And I'll leave you all with a challenge. I'll leave you with a challenge to dwell on over the weekend. Concentrate, please. Listen, if sanctification is a function of obedience, this we've learned, that's the point on the board. If sanctification is a function of obedience, and by definition, sanctification means to be made holy for God's purposes and to his glory, then what say you of our final principle here? Again, I'm going to read it quickly. If sanctification is a function of obedience, and by definition, sanctification means to be made holy for God's purposes and to his glory, what do you have to say about this principle up here on the board? The goal of sanctification. The divine context for the life of a believer is love. The divine context for the life of a believer is love. That's the goal of sanctification. Please dwell on this and we'll see how the Spirit decides to work out a little more sanctification in your souls as you do. Let's bow our heads Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this incredible privilege of studying your word. Father, it never gets old. Thank you so much for your patience, your grace, your mercy, your love, Father. You just pour it into our laps in abundance, Father. It's incredible. All of these things, Father, we're so very grateful for. We just ask for your blessings as we take the things back to the privacy of our own souls, back to our homes, and then your will be done out to a world that's lost and decaying. Father, we ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.